What's up, everyone? I'm going to just do this in one take. I like to do things in one take when I don't have time or energy to do anything ever. So I'm going to just tell you really quick what this episode is about and kind of what goes down here. Basically, I did a call where I called up a couple of friends, in this case, Mikey, who for, uh, Michael Downs of the Dangerous Maybe, and Andrew, my, our friend Andrew in the Navy, of Master Signified Bodies, and also the other half of Chevoy, uh, which is a new podcast. They're reading through Lacan seminars. But anyway, it's Andrew. It's Andrew. Andrew's awesome. We love Andrew. Anyway, look, so I bring them on for a call. Brian joins in the call later, but basically I'm giving the update about some big things that have happened and talking about why a lot of things aren't going to happen like I was hoping or planning and how there's other things in the works and then we talk theory and stuff like that also everyone else shares what they're up to and so i think that if you listen to this you'll probably feel inspired to do stuff and so if you're feeling stuck right now then this is going to be good for you so just like kick back play some video games go for a walk go for a hike go for a bike ride drive to work (laughs) sit in traffic listen to this maybe queue it up for later and hey if you're actually at work, uh, at a job where you get to have earbuds, then fucking awesome. You get to listen to this while getting paid. That's great. That's all I do. So anyway, I hope everyone will get a lot out of this. I think it's going to be good. Also, though, the news. Oh, boy. Yep. Here you go. All right. We're back so, on. So, okay, Dave, right. you want to do the update? So what, what, what I'm calling you out of your work session right now, is that right? Yeah, you're being a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, well, you've been really – I wanted to do a quick update for the channel and for you guys and just like – just talk for like a couple of minutes. And yeah. I figured I'd call – and if anybody else hops into this call, then cool. But if not, it's just us. I think it's good. I think it's recording now. It wasn't before, but it did. It, it randomly stopped. So you know, if if we lose it, we lose it. But uh, let's just go with this. So the studio is not happening. You both know this now. No one else really knows that yet. I haven't talked about it publicly, but um, yeah. So as far as like the little update goes, it's like nothing I had planned for this year is going to go the way that I planned. Um, but at the same time, it's going to be epic. And so the, it's, it's, it's just, it's really sad because like the, the place where I live, the family, they're dealing with a personal tragedy and it's just not that a, a good time to be there right now. And so I'm, uh, I've been just staying in town and am going to be, uh, well, Anne was going to move to the farm with me uh, when her lease is up at the end of this month. And so now that we're not doing that, all of our stuff's going in a storage unit and we're going to camp for a month and a half. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be basically off of the grid. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I, I'm going to be camping that whole time, except that I'll be driving in for work three days a week, three nights a week at, at Amazon. Yeah. And we just wanted to rough it. Just to experience it without of our backpacks and stuff. It's going to be kind of weird driving into the city for like an hour drive just to go to work, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be an experience. It's going to be cool. And then after that, we're going abroad and we're going to do some really cool creative work with our friends who just got a place in Finland. 
Oh, fuck yeah. I hopefully get to meet up with a couple of people in Europe and do some cool stuff while I'm there. But the the main reason I was, uh, well, I kind of wanted to just, yeah, say that that's what's going on. And because that's going on, all the other plans that I had further down the road are being moved up. But most of that is going to be writing. So I want to do some video stuff. I don't know what I'll end up getting done. So I'm not going to make any promises at all. Like Mikey and I want to do something to wrap up and do something the series we've been doing. Mm-hmm. But, the Lacan um, one? Or the Zizek one? Do you want to answer well, that one? It's, yeah, it's actually, I, like, I'm trying to do a quilting point where it, like, is a crossover where it 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 makes, it, like, turns them all into one series. So it's going to oh, be nice. Lacan and Zizek. And yeah. so, it, and here's the thing, I mean, course there down the road there's going to be more of these videos in some you know in some form that we'll do together but it's just as for now with what dave's dealing with there's going to be a kind of hiatus and i was telling dave the like dave's living situations ever since i've known dave like it's just the rug getting pulled out from under every time like yeah. And yet he always, and Dave always survives the shit. As I, I told him he should change the name from Theory Plebe to Theory Cockroach. Cause yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Theory Nomad, more like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and so we're, we're going to plan on doing one more in the series before the hiatus occurs. Yeah. yeah. We, still need, we still need to get you guys onto the, the Kevoy channel. We want to talk to all... all like have all of us on there yeah, yeah what, is, what is what is that that's the, the the new name of uh uh our channel nick and i we changed it from pites with lacan to kevoy but oh, okay. it, yeah but it, instead of it spelling like uh c-h-e like the italian it's like k like in spanish because i'm mexican and he's italian oh, oh I like that's good I like yeah that. yeah and, and it happened uh because of like uh you know, uh, accidental mistake because I, I I spelled it like Spanish and he's like it's actually, you know, spelled this way. He's like sorry for my uh, meticulous Italian correction because he's an Italian teacher, so makes sense. <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yo, quick, quick, quick background for the people who frequent the channel or are new subscribers, but might have missed the one time I think you were on the channel there, Andrew. So. Uh, this is Andrew, Master Signified Bodies, Instagram, Meme Star, you know, Extraordinaire, and... Uh, meme Master. Meme Master, yep. And uh, he was doing a series on just reading through the Lacan seminars, and we were talking, and we brought him on the channel, and we all talked once. But, the you know, we talked behind the scenes a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I've plugged your channel. I've shared a couple of your videos, at least one. And yeah. You know, I aim to plug it more, but I just, yeah. So anyway, people, it's a thing. And uh, this is Andrew. So, yeah. That's, uh, and, and behind the scenes, we have Nick somewhere out there. But yeah, you can't, you can't have yeah. Andrew without Nick. That's We're the dynamic duo. Oh, and people would have seen you in the Young and Shishik hands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I've been on the channel twice. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, that's the update part. And 
the two of you, I, I like. What are you both up to with your projects right now? Where are you at with your projects? What's your update? Um, Go ahead. So, you're up first, Andrew. Yeah. So right now, I'm just compiling some ideas so I can start my first um, medium article. And what? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm debating on like what I want to start off of with, but it's going to be psychoanalytically oriented. And I think I'm going to start it off with the difference between uh, psychoanalysis and analytic psychology with Jung and kind of emphasize um, the crucial split between um, Freud and Jung on the theory of libido, but also like show how Lacan is the one that kind of situates uh, psychoanalysis and, and libido as being sexual and, and pretty much bringing that orientation back to psychoanalysis and away from this like universal psychic libido pantheism or like this like libido towards a transformation of like one's inner potential or true self um so that's uh, what i think i'm gonna start doing it on like not i think i am i just gotta like see how i'm gonna start it off and compile my notes especially since like nick and i are pretty much like knee deep in the seminar one and seeing like from the narcissism chapter, how Lacan orients that it's, it's kind of been a little help, like to give me some more clarity on like where to work through. Well, I can tell you this, like if you want a long-term goal, everyone knows there's this huge rift between Lacanians and Jungians. No one's written that book though. Ah. Like somebody who knows both of them well needs to actually write a book that explains like, here's where the huge disagreements actually occur. Like what are, why is there such a incompatibility between them and to show what, like, cause this is something none of them are going to do. What points are compatible? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm just saying, I don't know of any, and maybe there is in a, a foreign language. Maybe there's a book in France or a book in Germany that hasn't been translated. But as far as I know, in the English-speaking world, we don't have a good single volume that really goes into de- detail over the big antagonism between yeah. Jung and Lacan. Yeah, and it's like with, with Lacanians, they know Jungians and they don't like them, but it seems like with Jungians, they have no idea really who Lacan is or <laughs> the Lacanian world. It's like pretty much all just like Freudians, Kleinians, um, Adlerians or whatever you want to call it. Then you got like Rogerians. But that's it. Like, it's just psychoanalysis yeah. was just like something in the past. Now, like, we're like doing our own thing with depth psychology and personal transformation and person-centered psychology, which is like pretty much stuck in that dyad of, of two-body psychology, which like Lacan talks about, you, you know, you have to account for the third speech and the symbolic, which is another thing that uh, he mentions, too, which I need to emphasize the fact that Jung confuses the imaginary with the symbolic. These archetypes are imagos our images, these complexes exactly, yes. uh, are, are caught in this imaginary uh, res- resistance relationship of aggressivity and frustration, but it never accounts for drives, the symbolic, and quite frankly, the real. Exactly. There you go. I mean, what yeah. the idea that, I mean, and let's be very precise. The real is the hiccup of the symbolic. It's the yeah. not, the twisting, the contradiction um, of uh, you know, so in seminar twenty, that's where Lacan gives 
I like I should send it to you. I, I mean, I'm not going to have verbatim here, but it's where he gives the definition of the real as like a deadlock in formalization. Yeah. And the, the, the idea is that the symbolic structure itself, like any system of meaning has inherent contradictions built into it, which means that it's never completely whole because there's these points where it gets twisted and knotted within itself. And th that point is the real. And that's what, mm. I mean, I, that's, I mean, on, traditional ontology, that's why Lacan was, wasn't an ontologist and always wanted to insist upon him, whatever he was doing wasn't traditional ontology. And it's because the traditional concept of being always involves presenting like a harmonious image of reality. Like here's what yeah. reality is. And it never takes the real, which is the, then this is why Lacan and Hegel are so compatible. Exactly. Like, that's what Hegel was doing is showing how reality is always contradictory. It, uh, a does not equal a, a equals a and not a right. It's this whole thing. So, yeah. And that's something that Jung doesn't have is like this, this harmonious, this like, sublation of contradiction rather there's always like uh, a point where you can achieve harmony and then uh equanimity um polarity like fixed polarities like you have the the fixed anima image of the woman and then the fixed animus of the logos of the man that's but, another thing right like yeah. for for you there's a sexual relation and for lacan yeah. there is no sexual relation and i mean look i'm reading Zupanchich's What is Sex? And it's one of the greatest books of Lacanian theory I've ever read. And she really explains this better than anybody I've come across. But, I mean, look, the average person listening is not going to know what any of that means. But, um, yeah. I mean, and that would take, I mean, it would take a whole discussion to flesh it out. But point is, Jung basically thinks they're, like, there's a harmonious relationship that's possible and Lacan doesn't think that's possible. And the only way to make up for it, not being possible is through love. This is for Lacan. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but again, to circle back around the main point point is somebody needs to write the book like Lacan and Jung or whatever. And so you're, I, I think you don't know it, but you're kind of laying the groundwork to be able to do that one day. Yeah, your first I told him. I told him that basically, like, I think the best thing to do is to just like study your blog and go. Okay, so for that, for to write a book like that, and there's other books up his sleeve as well. Uh, to to but to write these kinds of books, he just needs to basically spend a significant period of time flushing out these concepts you know between these two thinkers and other thinkers but but doing it in that sort of like rigorous and methodical and like taking the time necessary to actually unpack it and not just you know not just a primary text and not just a secondary text but like a bunch of secondary texts and the primary text repeatedly until it's like fleshed out um, but, you know like you know, it's a it's a work in progress. You got a lot of time to to be developing this, you know. So it's uh, I don't know. Like I, if I had, if I had the time and energy that I wanted, like at my disposal here, um, the I, I would want to do a lot of this line by line analysis stuff that Michael does. I would want to do 
I would or that I did. Every concept that I use the most should have its own post. It's like, you know, it really should. And I'm just not there yet because it's like a – but, uh, you know, that's the thing. Michael's been working this whole time, and he, he gets off work, and then he goes and he writes for three to four hours. Fuck yeah. So it's like that's amazing. That drive is, like, really inspiring. So and That's where it's weird. Like, I, I got to give more credit to my death drive or my jouissance because somehow – my libidinal economy got hooked on philosophy and doing it in this very kind of routine, repetitive way that I do every day. And, um, I mean, for me, it's kind of like my symptom at this point, but, um, no, I mean, and I, and I look, my standard has always been and continues to be like, I have to be able to make the shit clearer than anybody I've read. And I have to connect dots that they don't connect. So many Lacanians, like we were, all right, we were just and, talking and, and about I would just, drive, I just right? wanna, I, I, I know where you're going with this, and I just want to say, connecting dots, not between, not just between the black boxes of the jargon discourse. No, um, to the world. Or to the, outs- or, or to the outside, uh, like other thinkers or whatever. No, yeah, to the world and to well, – you do it to pop culture as well. But the, you just relate – you will constantly relate it to things in the world that you deal with. Basically, for me to understand an idea, I have to be able to live with it. And what I yeah. – like, I have to see it at work. I have to see it at the coffee shop. I have to see it at the grocery store. I have to see it in traffic. And if I don't see it operating – in my in my lived in my life world the talk like Husserl yeah. then I I mean what do I care about it like yeah and one of and the so, things I, I definitely see uh, I'm eye to eye with you on that because that's that's how I am especially like one of the two concepts that I think that I'm starting to realize in my day-to-day world is is uh like you know ideology according to Zizek and and cynicism and how people like enjoy their symptom as ideology mm-hmm. and and will disavow it with cynical you know cynical like pessimistic mindsets pretty much especially yeah, exactly. in the navy i see that shit all the time no i mean the, one of the things and i have emphasized this a couple times i think in the last videos we've had but for me like one of the things i keep dealing with at my at my job is that whenever i talk whenever politics get brought up or anything like signifiers matter and this is, I mean, this goes back to the Chris Catrone thing and all, all, I mean, basically like if I start talking about capitalism and I, or, or, you know, and I use certain words, like the, the, the conversation just comes to a screeching halt and everybody disagrees. But if I, if I talk about it with different words, so the other day we were talking about how, you know, I mean, they're like, you know, we're all prostitutes. Like we all whore ourselves to a capitalist <laughs> and i'm sitting there going right they have no problem saying that yeah right? like, and, and, then, and then one of them goes oh we're worse than the average prostitute the average prostitute just sells their body like we have to sell our souls and so you have a whole group of guys who will say all of that but then if you start saying oh you know communism what about social what you know it, it capitalism is structurally exploit if you bring in different terms then they all shut down and yeah. they all disagree 
And it's so weird how, like, this is Lacan's emphasis on the importance of signifiers themselves, that you, you can only get people to go for certain things based on how the signifiers you're using. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny where I, I see this moment, like, half the, half the guys are conservatives, half the guys are liberals. I mean, well, and, I mean, I say half. Some of them are conservatives, some are liberals. Most of them are, like, normies who just don't care about politics yeah. and want the culture war to go away. Yeah, and yet, like, kind of libertarian type. Like You like, have all of that. I deal yeah. with all that, but there's these moments of universal consensus that capitalism sucks if you mm-hmm. get them to if if you approach it in the right way, and mm-hmm. <coughs> so like if we're talking about ideology or politics, this is just another Lacanian point. Like you, you gotta you gotta use the right signifiers, and and, and that's that's kind of funny that you're saying it. Is like uh, I, I was kind of mentioning this with this uh, one of the voice messages I had with Dave. But I was like, kind of like the way the PMC acts. But in a sense, anti-capitalist sentiment is a part of capitalism now, in which it right. like gives itself like some kind of self-hate or like kind of like masochistic tendency to. It, it really like, hate kind itself. of mastered that. It, it I like in post sixties, right? It, capitalism really was like, oh yeah, we need to turn anti-capitalism into inherent transgression. Like it's built in to the capitalist system. So. Like, yeah, like, of course we, like, Hollywood studios will put out a film like Fight Club, or the music industry will release albums by Rage Against the Machine. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's the commodification of anti-capitalism itself, and the reason it works, the reason it's ideological is people think because they consume those products or because they identify with them, that that in and of itself is them enacting anti-capitalism. Yeah, and but the form is still capital. capital. Yeah. I want to so. take two thre- I want to take two threads from the conversation from the background. So basically, uh, Michael, you were talking about your writing from uh, what you kind of set yourself the standard you set for yourself. We call it the Mikey standard. That was uh, Brian's coinage. His goal is the Mikey standard, and I agree. Anyway, okay, like, I've never heard that before, but that's funny. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a thing. But um, so. Like, what what are you, what are you working on right now? Oh, okay. Sorry, you cut, I, I didn't hear Frizzle. All right, so. I've been working on my main book. Everybody knows that I've been working on it for years. Well, I was writing a section of it, and it turned into its own book. So my first book is basically done. I'm adding in a couple little things. I, I recently took a course um, through GCAS, which was taught by Isabel Millar, who wrote a, bo- a book called The Psychoanalysis of Artificial Intelligence. I love Isabel. I think she's a fucking rock star theorist. Um, I think this is one of the coolest books on artificial intelligence ever written because it's from a Lacanian perspective. And um, I learned, like Isabel, like it's like a lot of the Lacanians I've been talking to, um, like Mark Murphy, I've been talking to him, and uh, uh, Isabel and Dwayne Roussel, like a lot of them are big on Seminar 20. And then, like, the later seminar. So, like, Todd, Todd's all about those, you know, 11 through 16. So, 
Todd, like wh whenever I'm talking Lacan with Todd, uh, we're talking basically those seminars. So the later stuff on sexuation and synthome and like Dwayne's talking about like the concept of the fraternity and all this stuff. Basically, I've learned a lot of the later Lacan recently, and there's aspects of that I want to add into this book before I release it. And so it's done, but it's it's like it's finished, but it's not finalized yet. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm hoping to have the first book done and available on Amazon as soon as Dave and I can make that happen. And so um, we're going to get the first book out. And then right like my thing is I'm take, taking some time. I said I'm working through Alenka Zupanchich's what is sex and i cannot recommend the book enough i tried reading it right when it first came out and it didn't i i didn't know like even back then i didn't know enough it didn't register now when i read it like i feel like i understand 95 percent of what i'm reading like i i'm really getting it and nice. it's just one nice. of the best single volumes of lacanian theory and it's just it's just a masterpiece in theory and i i've just have i never let myself get lost in a text because i'm always trying to write or you know and i'm like no this is so good like this is one of these books like i out of the all the books of theory i've read there are certain books i can pinpoint where i'm like no this one really changed me forever being in time is one of them marx's capital is one of them uh, critique of pure reason, um, simulacrum, simulation, sublime object of ideology. What is sex is actually in that category for me. It's that big. Um, so, yeah, I'm, and the good news, though, is unlike a lot of those books, it's pretty short. It's like 140 pages. And yeah. I'm, I'm halfway done with it. So, you know, I'll probably be finished with it in a week or so, and then I'm going to get back to finishing the first book getting that done and then i want to i've got some blog posts that i haven't posted yet that i want to put up on the blog um and then it's just uh, for however long it takes it's just getting my main book finished and there's several other little books that are kind of being put on the back burner because of that being the priority right now but there's also that introduction to a con book and Zizek at work and uh, that. And that's I, look, Zizek at work is, uh, you know, at, like, I don't care if like we talk about it publicly. Like it's Zizek at work is a short essay. I wrote, it was published in a Spanish journal. I don't know. Like there's been people who have wanted to publish the English version. You know, I, I at the time I was like, no, I'm going to do something else with it. Or I don't, I want to write an expanded version. I'm tempted to just throw the original version up on the blog. It's not what it's, it's not a finished piece. Like it, it was, you know, I had to stay in a word limit, which, you know, I'm not used to having to do. So it's very short. I didn't really flesh out what I had in mind and it needs to be a short book. And so I don't know. Part of me is like, well, should I just save it and just put out the short book version, or should I release the the version I have? Like, I, I it'll probably end up going up on the blog. 
but honestly, if you're willing to put it on the blog, you should just let I can't hear you. You're like breaking up. Can you hear me now? That's better. Okay. That's how I was holding my phone, I guess. But uh, the beta edition, like, you know, like uh, when a video game gets pre-released so that it can be beta trialed on people, it'd just be nice so you can hand it to Christian so he'll actually <laughs> read it, you know? Like, yeah. There's a handful of people who would actually read it. I, we wouldn't. I'm saying like it could be something people can get their hands on, but we're not like, you know, like it, it, we're not marketing it. It's just it's something someone can get their hands as a pre-edition, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think and the same like- thing. I think the same thing should happen to that uh, board deuce forms of capital. Just in- instantly, just put it out and. I just I, I kind of want to start doing that with a few of the things that we know are basically done because we have this this uh, this this ethic this ethos this understanding that it's just like it we're not we're not proofreading this to death we're not editing it at all like really like any of the stuff that we've done so far is just like it's just out there mm-hmm. and so I mean yeah you you get it to where you you're happy with it before you say it's like the real edition. But at the same time, like, if it's going to be up on the blog, I think people should be able to have it in their hands is all. No. Yeah. I mean, fair point. We we can always figure this out later, but these are the kinds of things we're working on in the background. And so I'll just throw throw a few things in in here at the end of this, and that's just to say that, like, um, I've written, like, 100 pages of – a new book just in the last like two months and then I've been working on a book that I wrote last year and the year before that and it's just like that one is a it's it needs a lot of work and then uh, the the most important book is the one that I'll be focusing on a lot uh hopefully when I'm in (laughs) Finland when I'm in Finland and uh, maybe when I'm camping here in the next couple of months. Anyway, I'll be focusing on it a lot. But big things coming. I, the the channel is pretty dead because I am not. I mean, housing crisis and all that shit. You know, as we, it wouldn't be a plebe channel without without you know a housing crisis every six months. But yeah, because you took IAS for a little bit and then you came back up. And that was when I commented. I was like, "Damn, you're finally back up again." And then that's when you hit me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, it's it's just like yeah. So, um, but here's the thing though: the reason I'm do I'm staying up late and calling you both right now is because I just I I know I just knew it w- it wouldn't be possible, it wouldn't happen if it was later, if it was planned, if it was going to be longer form. It just can't happen. And so I I keep being like, oh, I need to do a stream, but it's like I don't have the time to do a stream. So. You know, it, this, this will suffice for the time being, but I hope to do that conversation with you, Mikey, here in the next month. And then, yeah, uh, I do too. I can't make promises about anything else. There's other things, but here's the thing I can't make promises about things, but I can also spontaneously make something happen yeah. when I want to. And exactly. So, and when I feel the pressure of, I've only got another month to do this, we'll see what happens, is all I'm saying. So, yeah. There could be some cool shit coming, but I really don't want to make promises because here's the coolest thing that is coming. It's the the shit that we're writing. So, and that that goes for all of you 
It goes for me, and it goes for Nick as well. Um, it goes for Brian. Brian's uh, working on something he's been working on all year that he'll be probably not ready to show the world until, like, spring. Um, there's just a lot of stuff, like, kind of – like, Elton, LK, who wrote the forward to my book, he's a uh, podcast working class intelligentsia. Michael's met him. Um, Elton's great, and – he has yeah. So his podcast, Working Class Intelligentsia, it, he he came up with a manifesto. It's called like the Working Class Intelligentsia Manifesto. And I don't know if it's published just yet, but I went to a meeting where he, you know it was discussed and everything like that. And I've been in a point where I'm like doing a radical, you know, suspension of all of my master signifiers or anything that might be one, and trying to get back to the to the 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 major questions, concerns, problems, and then concepts, but not concepts before those things. It, it, to, to the degree that I'm able, and I'm not able to get myself outside of language, so I just have to take on a lot of perspectives that are contradictory and work through them. And so that's what I've been doing. And I'm, I've got like 10 research threads that I'm on while I'm working at Amazon. And so it's like once a week for 36 hours, I just go hard and listen for 36 hours straight to – just so much stuff. Like I've been working on Capital Volume One, the Grundrisse, the 1844 manuscripts, like six books, six books about those things, being in time, uh, history of the concept of time, and then I've got like ten other research threads. Well, books that are attached to different research threads, and these research threads, I'm playing them like a guitar. But here's the thing: is is that the reason I have to do this, besides being like ADHD, is because if I listen to one thing then I, I want to go further on that research thread. I, I can't listen to the next thing on that thread too soon. And I, yeah. also, just can't, I also can't listen to the same thing all night. And so, you know, like I, I listened to Capital for like five hours last night. But, you know, I also did a bunch of other stuff. Like I'm doing this like uh, punk, hardcore, metal, rock, rap, underground research thread. And, and and that's all – that's actually multiple threads if you think about it, obviously. And yeah. so it's just – and then there's like the crime and punishment reading group I'm in. So it, it's like whenever the channel's really silent and I haven't sent a, an email out or said much in an email, it's because I'm living and I'm refueling and I'm re-conceptualizing uh, and re, re – I'm, I'm fucking overhauling everything. And so – like uh, I, I know that there's a handful of people still still hanging on to when they get a notification on the channel, and they they still look forward to like stuff dropping and things like that. And so it's like that's why I wanted to bring them in on the update is because it's like there's a lot of cool shit, everybody. Yeah. So just 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 stay tuned. No, and you know, I mean, I feel the same way about my blog. Like the blog keeps doing great. Like it keeps it constantly gets good numbers and just keeps going up and up. But I don't have any time to really do the type of posts that I was doing before because everything is geared around writing my main book that, you know, has been four years in the making or whatever. And I just can say, like, I understand what you're going through because in an attention economy, if you're not putting out new shit, if you're not visible, it's like you basically died. Yeah. Like, yeah. like no, every second of my life is geared towards me getting this book out. Like all the other books we talk about me doing, 
like yeah like i have ideas for 20 books or whatever none of those matter though like the only like i've said the only reason i exist is to write this one book like it's a unique thing and like i don't care if i have to not write blog posts for another year or so yeah like this this is and again it's like it's the reason i exist and like not objectively it's my own like i'm making it the meaning i exist but that's what it is for me and like i i it's the only thing that i know that i that no one else can write like i like that's part of the goal of it is like okay like okay you can say i have a talent for unpacking lacanian concepts but somebody else can do that too like i mean you know i'm not the only person on earth that can explain what objr is in a clear way like but the the main book is something i feel like i don't think anybody else could write this and so that's why like yeah i'm not i can't focus on doing a bunch on the blog right now i can't focus on the smaller books like i have to look it's a nice coincidence that like writing the main book or working on the main book i accidentally wrote a mini book that we're going to put out and that's great but you know that was that was by accident like i didn't even mean to write a book but i i did and so there to be fair um you wrote that right after you're like oh i'm i've got to get back to my book and then you're like oops i wrote the big other post but you're still sitting on it but it's basically a book so well and that's the the, i i do that's the one i want to put up on the blog as like the big post at least for this year because oh good like that one i have sit on it i just have i have to give it an ending and i have to connect this one there's like a, a a a cut in the middle of it that has to be connected i have to connect the dots there but that one wouldn't take me long and and that one i i I want that up on the blog as soon as possible but again i it's like but i wrote that what nearly a year ago yeah yeah it was like nearly a year ago i wrote that so feels pretty recent (laughs) but yeah because because i i think i've listened to it at least twice yeah guys i gotta get going so uh okay pop off so it was great chatting with y'all Good, right, good talking to you, Andrew. Take care. Take care. Take care, man. Yeah, I think he's okay. like at work. In, I think he's at work. Okay. But, well, um, the I this is the 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 last thing that I that I want to do here um, is is just to be like uh, I I know that the conversation we're gonna have about Lacan and Zizek later the, this month um, is gonna do a lot, and I'm really excited about all the stuff that it's gonna do. But there was a question that ddd shared about um like subjectivity like because he's reading molly ann rothenberg's book um obsessive subject which is a it's a classic in lacanian circles right and he's like he's he's kind of not getting it he said he's just kind of failing to get the point of it like what why is it so important to have like how is missing this theory of the subject or which is you know it's basically Lacan's theory of the subject um what's what's wrong with that like what really what's the point we I get that like in the conversation we had with McGowan and everyone else 
for the in defensive theory, we one of the things we were talking about that uh, Marxists especially can benefit from when it comes to Lacan through Zizek is a theory of the subject because because you know like the theory of ideology that most Marxists are working with is not one that has a very fleshed out subject. But how important right. is it? How important is it that there's like this split subject? It's a Mobius. What like what? Why does it matter? And I know we can't talk about it right now in very much Well, detail. I can give you a quick answer to that. I knew I could trick you into talking. Do it. Look, look, look the quick the the quick answer is that All right, like so, so this is part of the issue. Like why does why why does when Zizek says to be a Marxist today you have to go through Lacan. The point is Marxists and leftists in general despite their anti-capitalism tend to presuppose first off it's funny the left has never when you think of like great leftist thinkers they themselves have never come like who who's a great leftist thinker that created a theory of the subject that's like a robust i'm talking like a theory of the subject on the level of lacan or heidegger and being in time you it know? would be sartre's probably the closest wouldn't it be sartre's the closest but he's He's, I mean, the, then the question is, right, like, okay, but how does being in nothingness work with critique of dialectical re Like, it's not clear, like, that, and first off, those books are both such huge books that, I mean, maybe, but, look, here's the point. The left wants to change the world. We, okay, good, I, like, I want the world to change, too. And the left knows that to change the world, it takes mobilizing human beings. But what's a human being? And, and I'm not, like, they can act like, oh, well, that's, like, unnecessary. Like, you, like you, we all know what human beings are. Like, okay, well, if it's so easy to mobilize them to achieve certain goals, why can't you do it? Yeah, what's the problem? It's a fucking problem. Like here's, so, a, here's a good example. Catron was like, "It's my colleagues." My, he said, it, "I love the quote." He's like, he, "He's all it's my fucking colleagues. They keep getting to the students before I do, with filling their heads with Deleuze and Guattari and all this other." Okay, bullshit. then what, what? What was the problem before Deleuze and Guattari? Right. Exactly. I think that was. I mean, think about it. That was a long time later. <laughs> yeah. So what was the problem before that? Yeah. So the problem is, is that they kind of take homo economicus that human beings are rational actors pursuing their self-interest and all you have to do is rationally explain to them what's in their self-interest and that will get them to mobilize and change the world so as to achieve what's in their rational it doesn't fucking work yeah because human beings are not primarily concerned with achieving what's in their self-interest they are a contradiction. They are a, a tug of war between what's in their self-interest and what undermines that self-interest, which we call the difference between pleasure and jouissance or enjoyment. It's pleasure versus enjoyment, and they are not the same. And Homeostasis, homeostasis versus intensity. Yeah. Or excessive, you know, balance versus excessive disequilibrium, right? And that's the whole thing is that 
human beings get enjoyment from giving themselves too much trouble. Like that's how Lacan talks about it in seminar 11 is too much trouble. And that's part of what I was trying to do in Zizek at work and what I will really do in the longer book version. Like I see this shit every day at my job. Like people like this idea of, we just need to inform people and develop class consciousness, which class consciousness, when you think about it, it's a large scale knowledge and awareness of what is in our rational self-interest through class identification and class unity and solidarity. And yet nobody wants that shit. Or at least if like they don't want it, if that's all it is like, mm. and, and so the right always has this advantage like the right is got it made when it comes to mobilizing jouissants. They're far more tapped in at a, at a gut level of how to appeal to people's libidinal economies, how to, have, how to seduce them, so to speak, than the left is. Like the left just wants to inform and raise awareness. And there's nothing seductive in that. And that, that's the issue is that how do you how do you seduce people from, you know, some sort of leftist emancipatory project? And that's what us Lacanians are trying to tell Marxists or leftists of any kind. Like you got to learn how to seduce people. I, 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 uh, I think that this is definitely a, a line that is, I mean, like, think about it. One of the main things that, uh, these theorists will say is like, the the issue i mean i think bierman said this in the last conversation i had with him uh you know zizek obviously talks about it but it's it's a common refrain i think in theory to say that you know the workers don't seem to want their liberation in any serious way like you try to talk to them they don't want it like this is a theory is a reaction to you know like the revolution happened but then things went back to normal so what, what what's going on what gives and in a sort of sense, it's a, it's reflecting on a failure or a series of failures or, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, or you could say, you know, a theory is supposed to be taking account of reality. And so it's supposed to adapt to reality. And you're talking about this in, as sort of like we got to understand psychology to be able to do rhetoric is kind of part of what it sounds like. But it's not just rhetoric, obviously. But the well, what I'm talking about, I would say ontology, but whatever. OK, well, that's fair. Well, actually, well, is it fair? Explain, explain what you mean. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm saying like, you're talking about seducing like, people. Say what? You're talking about ontology for the sake of seducing people. Well, now, I, okay, I, I, okay, no, I'm saying that. Okay, no, there's nothing enticing about the liberal left in America. Like that's why most people are put off by it. And if they vote for Democrats or whatever, it's simply because from their position, the excessive or racist, racist or however they frame it, enjoyment of the right is too much of a threat. So we'll do the lesser of evils. And but the, like the point is, the left can't mobilize people like it can't get them true. Like nobody is emphatic about anything left right now. And. The question is, like, how do you do that? Well, you're not going to do it simply by just saying, you know, the minimum wage needs to be raised because, they, they, like, 
just quoting statistics or facts and trying to inform people, which is so much of what I see going on, like, they don't care. That's not how you appeal to people and mobilize them. And, like, again, like, it, it, it takes for, it, it takes as its starting point, like, you just, exp- people don't know what's going on. Ideology has made them not see the truth of their material conditions. So let's inform them about the truth of their material conditions. And if we build that collective awareness into class consciousness, they will act in their self-interest and change. I don't think so. I think it has to be done in a totally different way. And And so so, based on how I like, based on the ontology of the subject, as I understand it. Gotcha. And this is this part of obviously then what you're doing. And I, I want to add that uh, a fundamental aspect of Marx's theory is that it takes into account the – it is supposed to be able to take into account the standpoint of the theorists as well. Um, and, and it's supposed it's, – it's, it's not it, – it's supposed to be able to somehow get itself out of a circle – and the the person who takes on the standpoint of say the working class or of the revolutionary or of the theorist or of all three has to understand the fucking world but also understand i'm the i'm part of this world and i'm perceiving this world and i'm not outside of the discourse or a theory or analysis of this world and so so how do i factor into the interpretation of this world. I want to change the world, but I also have already interpreted the world. I already understand myself as a certain type of subject. Mm-hmm. So part of this is also personal individual liberation. And that's my big thing is that no matter what um, kind of world we want to live in, it's, it's kind of getting ahead of ourselves if we also don't understand ourselves and so it's just like you cannot do the two things separately and obviously like the nice thing about this sort of like you uh reading and trying to understand and talking about all of these different thinkers is that we get a bunch of different radical takes on the same phenomenon Mm -hmm. we need a lot of radical takes on the same phenomenon and different complete reconceptualizations of that phenomenon so that we can to some degree, get outside of doxa, outside of common sense, just the taken-for-granted background conditions of average everydayness. That means, in a lot of ways, you can take on a framework like Marxism or whatever, and or an ideology, but you actually don't know in what ways that has adapted to your subjectivity, your desire. You're you're part of it, and so you're you're not outside of this. And so understanding that you are a split subject, and that desire and drive are not the same thing in the way that they relate. And like for me, I'm still reeling after your message from last week, uh, where you talked about the circuit of partial drives, and mm-hmm. this is this is fucking changing how I think about everything now, and it's yeah. connecting a lot of dots. It's connecting dots throughout all of the conversations we've had, including the ones, the the four parts on Lacan and then the three on Zizek so far. So, well, yeah. So, look, I mean, look, there, it's a million ways to come at it. But, I mean, look, another thing is, okay, pe- capitalism doesn't allow people to have their time energy. Capitalism oh, shit, doesn't. Oh, shit, shit. 
Brian's in the chat. Hey, hold on, hold on. I'm good. trying to turn speaker on and stuff. Uh, All right, yeah. There so we go. Michael, Sorry. are you able to... My, Mike, I was out it, at lunch with the family. We're just Mike, getting can home. can you bookmark that? What? Can you can you bookmark that just for a second? I was yeah. I just it, it, don't worry about it. like yeah, I was just gonna keep going on the same point, but whatever, it's fine. No, because I want to see how you tie it into time energy, Brian. Basically, you're coming in on the tail end of a conversation that's being recorded for my channel, and it's just a quick update, me explaining what's going on with the studio and the plans and the book writing process. I mentioned that you are like us working on something that you're writing, and I said it probably won't be something that anyone sees until spring or something like that. But yeah, gotcha. But I haven't ever introduced you. Well, it's if I've ever even talked about you, like it's it's in passing or like uh, it, w really quickly, everybody in the world, this is Brian. Howdy. And we were just reading Kant's Groundworks, The Metaphysics of Morals, and now we're reading Crime and Punishment, uh, Dostoevsky. But we also have read uh, fuck, uh, a lot of books. Uh, At least two. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we, there's at least two that we've read that we're probably going to reread. Um, and the main one was Being in Time, but we also read Saussure, and we've read Kant, we've read Derrida, and all this other stuff. But the, yeah, we just read Totality Infinity last year. Um, and and Agamben. And Agamben. Levinas is someone I never talk about on my channel, even though he's someone I think with every day and so it's like even though I struggle with them a lot I argue with them but like you know I, I just have never talked about it on my channel it's so funny that like he, he's not really on theory too um, one time was like Le who? Levinos what? and it's just like oh yeah uh, really important theorist I mean that's he's such an important theorist so I mean or he's Mike, one of the, not the, the here, greatest right? thinkers of ethics that ever lived like whether or not you know I have my disagreements with Levinas but like, okay, there's like what Aristotelian ethics, utilitarianism, uh, Kantian ethics, and then there's Levinas. Like, it's that he's that important as a ethicist. Yeah, and there's almost yeah. like no, I I haven't found a decent podcast dealing with Levinas yet. No, I agree. Like he, for some reason, yeah, he doesn't. I don't know. He. He doesn't appeal to your like theory tube or I don't know. I think nobody likes the way that Butler uses him, and that's all there is. That's just what it is. So it's like yeah, but that's still, in that one book. I don't know how many people have even read the book you're talking about. She, well, I mean, in the theory world, I think everyone's probably encountered Butler's usage of Levinas, yeah, where it's maybe, just like yeah. it, for for people outside the discourse, and that's most people, almost like everybody in my life and on this channel. I'll just say that Judith Butler is obviously very famous for gender trouble and bodies that matter and notes towards uh, performative theory of justice and all these other books. And she's been around for a long time and is big in gender theory and other things. And so. Um, you know, and she's controversial for a lot of reasons, um, but, uh, you know, she's worth thinking through. And so, um, but she, well, the way she uses Levinas is basically just like, yeah, so we have an infinite obligation to the other 
got to live for the other, sacrifice for the other. The other is vulnerable. We've got to care for the other. The face of the other is the, like, there's things that she does to correct or or, or adapt uh, she into her off. system. She She's running him into a system where, he, you know, she's also using Foucault. You know, she's also using Lacan. So no, say what it is. She id pulls Levinas. She id pulls Levinas. That, that's actually, you know... I don't know if I'd say anything she does is just straight up id pull. I think that's just more how she's used, but I maybe I'm wrong. She's she's definitely not a Marxist in any real sense. Like she doesn't really have I don't think like I, I know she like will like add class into things, but I don't think she ha she has any very serious sense of like political economy. And then people are like, Oh my god, she donated to a Kamala campaign and I'm like, Look, I don't fucking know why she donated to a, a Kamala campaign like that's that's that doesn't have to be what her politics is she might just want to be able to like actually speak to somebody who has some influence like that's not you know whatever anyway look the only reason I brought it up is like I do really want to do stuff on Levinas I look forward to doing stuff on Levinas part of the reason I haven't is because I have to read otherwise than being a couple times first I don't want to get out ahead of myself on that one and anyway uh Brian, everyone on this, everyone in the call, Andrew was in here for a little bit as well for like the first half of the conversation. And he, uh, he gave his little update on what he's working on. Michael gave his update. I gave my update. Do you want to just say what you're working on in qu quick, whatever you take as long as you want, really? Sure. I'll, it'll probably be pretty quick because, uh, I didn't even know what I was getting into when I joined this call. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I think uh, Tara's waiting for me. Um, but no, I've been working on a pretty thorough study of just the phenomenological literature in general. Uh, this summer, I've read everything from Husserl to rereading re Heidegger, Merleau-Ponty, some Sartre, and some other less um, famous phenomenologists. Um, and currently, I'm working through Levinas a little more carefully. Um, I just started otherwise than being, which is certainly more challenging than totality infinity, which was already challenging as it is. Um, yeah, but it sucks it's, that there's it's no really good commentaries on it. Sorry. Was that Mikey? I say it sucks that there's no good commentaries on it. That also right. is a problem. Yeah. So like really what it comes down to is like reading the sort of French phenomenologists who came after him who use him to kind of get an idea of how he's being read. That's the best mm -hmm. you can do. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of part of it. And then I've all, like his essays are helpful because you don't have to, you know, spend months on end with. Have you read like Ethics and Infinity yet? Uh, yeah, I read it the first time last week. It was a bit over my head. So I'm going to go back to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he deals with so many different concepts than he does in Totality and Infinity. Like, the whole mm -hmm. sort of conceptual universe is different. So it's like almost a reorienting in a way. Mm -hmm. um, in but what I'm, being or in Ethics and Infinity? All of his later writing. Or Yikes. was Ethics and Infinity, or was that pre... I can't even remember now. Well, I'm referring to the, the, it's the little interview book. 
Oh no, then I haven't read that. I'm thinking of a different oh, okay. way. Then. So no, so ethics and I believe that's the name. It was an interview that he did, and it's one of the best. Like it's the most accessible Levinas book there is. Oh, perfect. When, okay. Like that's definitely if you haven't read it, you got to read it. It he's so crystal clear in that as opposed to his really theoretical writings. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. I to should. Know. I can probably find a copy of that online. I'll say I might have a PDF I can send to you. Oh, that'd be awesome. Make a quick plug here. Uh, Brian and I had a conversation with uh, Andrew, and it's up on his channel, actually. So people can check that out if they want, Master of Signified Bodies channel. Um, but we talked about Heidegger. And and there's um, a cute baby in that video. There is a cute mm -hmm. baby. If I have to say so myself. I forget what I was going to say about that video because something you were both just talking about made me think of it. But anyway, it's good and phenomenology is great. And I've been constantly working on phenomenology and critique of political economy and stuff like that. And so we're going to be reading Capital here uh, within the next six months. And so that's really exciting. Um, that's kind of why I'm going over it right now. That but, is really uh, exciting. Gosh, yeah. And and you you you've got a writing project that you're working on. Mm -hmm. You've got ideas. I can't wait to, to to talk to you about those some more. But just like it's, I mean, what you're working on is one of the most important pieces of like what I've been thinking about as well. So it's really exciting that you're doing this right now. Yeah, I think you know, it's something I think... you and I have been thinking about for probably the last five years together in some way or another. Um, yep. For your listeners, it's. Uh, dealing with obsession, uh, a sort of phenomenology of obsession, um, rethinking it, it usually is kind of conveyed in a negative light to be an obsession is a, a problem, but I want to rethink that. Um, and as a, like a public educator in the K-12 system, and like I, I teach students at an alternative school who are either on the edge of dropout or going to drop out, don't give a shit about being there and just totally deviate from the sort of social norm of what a sort of good student is on their way to like a normal life. Um, the idea of deviance is sort of something I've been thinking about for the last couple of years. I just finished a master's and that was a, a pretty big topic I spent time focusing on and more and more, um, I'm thinking through connections between sort of deviance as far as like deviating from a norm and obsession and being preoccupied with, with things of interest and then mastery is all these other things that go along with it. And so that's kind of like the bigger project that I feel like I'm just at the beginning of though, even though I've been thinking certain things for many years, I feel like I'm finally getting to a point where I can start thinking through the the pieces of it rather than the sort of general 10,000 foot view kind of knee jerk mm -hmm. feelings. But none of that was really in your thesis. Your at your MA thesis it was about a gombin and like uh critical pedagogy, right? Yeah, well that so I wrote a lot of papers for courses dealing with a lot of what I was just talking about the thesis itself. I think um, a lot of the stuff having to do with like 
use and like the highest poverty sort of text from a Gombin do relate in a way. Um, but yeah. rereading Heidegger um, has definitely given me some more space to think about like what Agamben's talking about when he gets into sort of thinking about potential um, as opposed to act, you know, he really takes up that sort of discourse. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and which is huge for half of being in time. That's really important. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the reason I brought up the video, I just remembered was because Michael, I don't know if you'll care if I say this, but <laughs> Mikey was like, that's Brian. <laughs> no, I was going to, what I was saying is like, it's crazy. Like when I met Brian, Brian was not into theory at all. And like, I've like over the years, I haven't talked to Brian very much over the years, but it's like every time I talk to Brian, he's like super leveled up on theory. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's just like, God damn, like, how'd you do this? <laughs> yeah. I read a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's but great. no, like I, it's just, it's great. Like from standing back, I'm just like, it's crazy to see how much of a theorist and a, you know, a thinker you've become. So, so really cool. I, I appreciate that. I don't know if you, okay. I, we all got to go, but just really quick. I just put out that conversation with Bruce Bierman. He's got critiques of psychoanalysis and Lacan and in the and, and and it comes down to he believes in a hierarchy of desires and you know he's working on his own phenomenology of desire but it's it's a huge project he's not going to let anyone know about any of it until he drops it and so right now all he does is appeal to basic arguments um that you he's mostly taking from like the cynics and from like the like socrates you know from stuff you know and, and just from the history of philosophy but he's working on something epic and the but the thing is is i don't think he's that familiar with the lacan that we understand or that we've studied or that at least that michael and i have talked about and so like i don't think he knew about the pleasure jouissance distinction so like it just kind of like it was it was really cool because um i'm a huge fan of everything he's got going on and because he turned me on to philosophy and theory in the first place and well not philosophy but theory and or at least phenomenology and, and stuff like that. So, um, but the, the, the thing that I, the thing that Michael told me last week, I, we can't, I, Michael, I don't know if you even want to bring it up at all, but I, I have to I'm at least. I'm not going into the whole, because okay. I, I'm, it's one of those things I'm working on right now. Like I don't have it, I don't have it all worked out yet. Okay. That's perfect. So just, this will be like a sort of cliffhanger is th there's reasons that there are you know that that this misses the mark in various ways and uh i i learned about the circuit of partial drives and it just blew my fucking mind and it, the last week i just can't stop thinking about it i just want to read up on drive really bad and it's really important for obsession and so like a drive is not the same thing as desire and no drive is isolated or exists on its own. And there's a complicated way that the, your libidinal economy forms. And this just is, it's all very important stuff that I want to understand better. And so hold on, but the, here's the thing the, the other thing that's missing here, if we're going to talk about obsession, there's drive and desire, but there's also demand. 
And so what the obsessional neurotic does, and here's the thing, uh, Brian, I don't know if you've read it or not. Have you read Bruce Fink's, like, a Lacanian, inter- uh, and a clinical introduction to Lacanian psychoanalysis? No, but I've heard you talk about it. The only one we read was the, um, the shorter one. What is that? Um, uh, Lacanian subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. The, the best book he wrote, I know everybody, like, Lacanian subject was popular for a while, but it's not his best book. Um, the clinical introduction is by far his best book. And there's a whole, like, he's the only Lacanian I know who's really, okay, uh, there's another guy named Joel Dore who did this. But uh, to be honest, Joel Dore's book is not nearly as readable or accessible as mm. Fink's is. The clinical structures are still like, I'm always like, I've bugged Todd a bunch. I'm like, will you please put out some, like do the clinical structures. Lacanians don't really ever just lay out, like, let's do the, the basic parameters of obsessional neurosis. Let's do hysterical mm-hmm. neurosis. Let's do perversion. Let's do psychosis. And then, and then now it gets complicated because Jacqueline Millier, you know, his whole thing about ordinary psychosis, it's another thing. And then, Leon Brenner thinks autism is its own clinical structure. So it's complicated. Point is, though, the, those three, the, the classics, the neurosis, perversion, psychosis. Fink's book does the best job of laying them out. And so whatever you're doing with obsession, you need to, like, have Lacan's, like, idea of obsessional neurosis to work with. Mm-hmm. And part of what the neurotic does or I should say the obsessional does is okay. The other's desire is that elusive dimension of them, right? Like it's people demand things, but their desire transcends the demand and what they demand isn't actually what they desire. They want something else. What the obsessional does though, is zero in on the demand and take the demand as if it's the desire. And so they will fixate on some activity. They think like this, if I just, you know, fulfill the other's demand, if I just keep doing what I'm doing, it'll, you know, satisfy the other. And then that somehow that they'll get their enjoyment from satisfying the other's demand. And the point is the other's demand is always like a fail. You can't base yourself on the other's demand because the other is a split subject. And, so, but that's, that's one of the things that makes an obsessional obsessional is that they're always fixated on the demand. They think that they have to satisfy, like, so they get caught up. I mean, this is why, you know, obsessionals are, are big on like following orders or doing their duty or whatever. Like they put so much, they, there's so much stock in the other's demand. Right. But again, the other's demand is always like you can't really base anything in your life off of the other's demand. And yet because the other's desire, you know, that's alterity, it's otherness, it's evasive, it's never fixed. Um, it's mysterious, right? Obsessionals don't like that. Like obsessionals fixate on their egos and their self identity and they block out the other. Like, I mean, again, now I'm starting to describe like typical male behavior or the way it's traditionally thought of. And that's just why most guys traditionally are obsessionals. And so even sexuation gets brought into the mix here. But the point is, is that 
obsessionals are doing what they're doing because they think they have to fulfill a certain demand, the other's demand, and that that is the, the key to unlocking enjoyment. Mm. And so, but Dave, I mean, all your points. Yeah, I, yeah. I think without really having a, a grasp on how you're using demand and desire, the last two minutes, you, to be fair, you said you can't get into it. But like that, that, that just sounds like a lot of demand, demand, desire, desire, demand, demand, desire, desire. Well, again, like the, I mean, it's, I mean, this is simple, right? Like a demand is like something explicitly demand, like I want you to do X, right? Like it's something that's explicitly stated. And so the, but the obsessional, like they don't understand, like when somebody tells you to do something like, like to truly understand what they want you to do is not to take the demand too seriously. It's the same thing with ideology, right? Like, like ideology, you know, do this, don't do that, don't do that. But then like with inherent transgression, like we've talked about a million times. Yeah, but like there's, there's always a yeah, but, right? Like, yeah, these are the official rules. This is what's uh, officially, uh, you know, expected of you. But there's also like loopholes and ways around it. You shouldn't take it too seriously. And the obsessional ends up taking demands or ideological mandates or political objectives too seriously for their own good. And that's part of the issue. And it's because they, the obsessional doesn't want to deal with desire, which is, it's that which is, okay, like I, the exa I'm going to use the example that I used a bunch. It's Peter Rollins. Okay, because it's the best example I can think of. Um, the kid is about to start school. The parents sit the kid down and say, hey, we believe in nonviolence in this family. It's never okay to hit. It's never okay to fight. We expect you to go to school and not, not punch and not fight. Well, the kid starts school, and soon after, the kid starts to get bullied on a routine basis. And every time the kid goes to school, the bully terrorizes him, and blah, 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 blah. So it becomes a whole thing, and one day the kid finally has enough and hauls off and punches the bully and gives him a bloody nose. All right, well, the kid goes home, and the parents sit him down, and the parents say, hey, we told you we don't hit in this family, all right? We told you that that's not the way to go. It's never right to hit. And yet the kid can detect in the parents a certain happiness, a certain pleasure in the fact that he hit the boy. So they're saying don't hit him, but this other unspoken part of them, he's detecting like, yeah, but they're glad I did. Even though that what, like they're saying don't hit them, but I can tell they're happy that I did. Or you can reverse it. He just keeps getting beaten up and beaten up and he finally goes home one day and they keep telling him like, you know, we're very proud of you that you, you don't engage in violence or whatever, but he detects in them a disappointment in him. Yeah. This is the split between demand and desire. So the demand is don't engage in violence. The desire is punch that motherfucker in his face. Yeah. And that is, that's what we're talking about here. So 
I, how does, how, just to tie it all up. So I know, I know what Brian's working on is a lot more focused on the, 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 like what it feels like. Oh, oh, Brian, do you, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. I didn't know if you had to mute and go take care of a baby or something. Not yet. Cool. But when we've talked about obsession, it's just like what, what it's we're obsessionals through and through like and we we really need something to be. This is why time energy matters so much to us. Right. Like we need it so that we can actually do <laughs> Andrew's back in the chat. Yeah. yeah. Another I'm another uh, another obsessional is in the chat. Welcome. Yeah. I had to drive on base real quick. This is Obsessionals Anonymous. Welcome, welcome to Obsessionals Anonymous. And no, yeah, the real, so my old thing is now I'm I'm to this this later Lacan, and I'm like, are we just are we not actually obsessionals? Are we not neurotics anymore? Are we ordinary psychotics? It's a whole <laughs> other thing. But see, I mean, that's like really like why I, I I feel like I need to go read that Fink because the dif difference between a neurotic and a psychotic is still like totally a mystery to me at this point like a lot of the, those clinical structures you're right because they get used like if i'm mm -hmm. listening to why theory like todd and ryan will talk about them but not really just spend time breaking down the various structures and no i mean i've tell i'm and i'm gonna next time i talk to todd i'm gonna say it's time you have to do the clinical structures like like and they gotta my be thing is, like, I want to write a blog. Anyway. Say what? I said they have to be hunting for episode ideas anyway. By this point, well, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm like, okay, like this needs to happen. Um, but okay, so you get into this whole thing, like, all right, well, a demand is a symbolic mandate. Like a demand has to do with the symbolic, whereas. Yeah. It's weird because the question is, what do we mean by obsession? Like, obsession can also be tied into the synthome in a sense. Like, the synthome is this later concept in, from seminar 23. And so here's what you got. The, the basic difference between a neurotic and a psychotic is that the psychotic has foreclosed the name of the father. Now, there's a bunch of blue jargon. <laughs> what it means is that the psychotic has fundamentally rejected the prohibition of jouissance. I do not accept that there are prohibitions on my enjoyment. That's what it boils down to. Because okay. the name of the father is, like, we can call it a signifier, but it's really like a signifying element. or what it's, it's the key aspect of the symbolic order, which is to say, hey, if you're going to be a member of the symbolic order, which is to say, if you are going to be socialized, you have to compromise your enjoyment. Now, the funny thing is, and this is a locating point to do this, like there's no, like you don't actually give up anything. Like, it's funny. We call it symbolic castration, but the only thing you give up is something that's retroactively constituted. Like I had to give up this pure unadulterated jouissance, but in reality, that's only a retroactive fantasy after prohibition. Like you didn't have it to begin with, but the point is 
the cost of symbolic castration, which is to say the cost of social socialization, is you have to give up something you don't have. And, and that's like, there's like the Lacanian enigmatic way of putting it. But the point is, like, you have to give up a type of enjoyment that you don't actually have. In, and, in, Nietzsche, in Nietzsche, this is the caged animal. Okay, I'm not familiar with this, or if I was, I don't remember it. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is in the genealogy, or it's beyond good and evil. But, you know, he's talking about how, like, I mean, Freud, Freud gets a lot from Nietzsche, right? And it's just like, it's the idea of repression, but it's just like, you're constantly, no, you can't do this, you have to do this, you can't do that, you gotta do this, you can't do that, you gotta do this. And you're like this caged animal, you know? Mm -hmm. you're, like this you're like domesticated, like... This little this little cucked animal. And the perfect example of it is uh, Walter White in uh, Breaking Bad. You know, it's but but the yeah. point is like you're worse if you're a psychotic. Like the whole point is like you like this is the later Lacan of Lanon Dupere. Like okay, or like where Lanon. Okay, so this is another play on words. So the name of the father is Lanon Dupere right in french well in seminar what is it uh is, i believe it's 21 he 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 does a uh homophony where it's uh lenon dupes errant which is to say the non-duped the people who are not duped are the ones who err like if you if you don't if you're if you refuse to be duped you end up in error and so the point is the psychotic refuses to be duped by the symbolic. And because they refuse to be duped, they err. Like, the fiction is the truth. Like, yes, the symbolic order is a contingent matrix. It's not absolute. But if you don't allow yourself to be tricked by it or to be integrated into it, you are fucking duped. You're, you're lost. And, like, this is the whole point, right? We all know we have this relationship to the law and that it's that there's a symbolic order and that we can do this whole thing. Like we know that we have laws in place and yet they've been contingent and they're not absolute. But the point is, if you don't accept the parameters of this basic matrix, then you're just forever lost. Like you, you like you're not tapped into anything. You're, you're like a, you're, you're, you're forever outside the symbolic. And this is why like, they don't like the psychotic doesn't have the ability to use language or navigate social interactions the way we do because we're all uh, collectively duped together by the symbolic and <clears throat> because we're collectively duped we're in the greater truth than they are and so the point is the neurotic is defined by the fact that they ex they accept prohibition they repress, there's a fundamental repression, like, I can't have the absolute enjoyment whenever I want it the way I want, like, I have to repress, which is, I mean, early in Lacan, it's linked to the mother, all of this kind of stuff, but what it boils down to is their neurotic sacrifices the enjoyment they never had, and in doing so, enter the symbolic, enter into prohibition, enter into socialization, and the psychotic rejects all of that. 
and is this rejection the disavowal or is that coming to more of the perverse uh that's perversion stuff, right? that's the that's difference perversion. it's like Perverts are the ones that I, I think most Lacanians would tell you perverts are the rarest of the rare because what they do is they walk this weird line. They're kind of neurotic and they're kind of psychotic. And that's a whole nother thing. That we, yeah, because like, like if they get some enjoyment from some fantasy, like there's never really guilt or shame, right, in perverts. Well, that's part of it. And part of it is like they make themselves like the instrument of the law. Like, oh, okay. like, part of it is, like, the people who, like, the, the Spanish Inquisitors, right, or um, certain fascists or whatever, like, anybody who just can brutalize other people because they're serving the law, that's, like, part of what it is to be a, a sadist. And, again, but this, like, the whole thing with perversion, like, that's a whole nother, because, right, the main difference right. is neurosis and psychosis. When you get into perversion, it's a whole complicated thing because you have the sadist, you have the masochist, you have um, the fetishist. And, like, again, all of this is stuff I want to do a blog post on the clinical structures, right? But it would help if I had Todd. To, if Todd did something, it would save me a lot of trouble. Because, like, like, his video on the phallus is what really enabled me to write the big-ass blog post on it. Because he connected, the, like, he gave me enough insights initially where I'm like, okay, it clicks now. Now I can really take it and run with it. And I want to do the same thing with the clinical structures. But the best we have right now is that Bruce Fink book. Hmm. Speaking of your blog post, Brian, <laughs> I, I told Andrew and Mikey earlier that you'd coined the term the Mikey standard. <laughs> I, I, that's funny. I did. Yeah. And well. so... Well, I, I want to just say the, the relevancy for all of this is just like, okay, the, you know, it, in your situation, Brian, you're dealing with troubled youths. You know, these are kids that are like not going to make it right, unless like something, you know, um, unless a miracle happens. And so, you know, you and we, we all are like in our own ways, like dropouts and fuck ups and shit. And so, it's mm -hmm. like we, we relate to people who are going through that stage of life, you know? Right. I mean, like the, the whole question is, is like, how do we take like a description of like a sort of structure, like a clinical structure and then map it onto the actual real world, which is, you know, if we were all fuck ups and we still don't fit in, to sort of normal polite society in certain ways we're not fuck ups in the same way either right yeah. like right yeah yeah and and so what that is is still very unclear to me and that's i mean if anything and if someone's already figured that out like that would be awesome but like the for my students just like it was for me in high school it's like your options are prison which is more likely than anything for many of them and kind of just living like one day to the next hoping you can just make it through and probably having nothing more than that or there's like something that happens with certain people that go from there like myself included to like 
not assimilating into just the sort of normal expectations that the world has for you, but exceeding them in some way. Right. So there's like an excessiveness to what we do that obsessional, but it's not destructive in the way it was for me before, you know, but it's still, it's still very much like, yeah, I'm not content with what the world wants for me. You know what I mean? Like I'm not fully content. Like I had the nine to five and a paycheck that was pretty good and bound to get much better in the future and all this stuff and solid prospects, but deeply miserable. Like that's not for me, but neither is, you know, just waking up and drinking and smoking weed all day, you know? And part of it is, I mean, this goes back to Dave's point, which is, the the thing we want is our time energy. We want, which is mm-hmm. the thing, yeah, hundred percent. We want the ability to live our best lives, which is exactly what capitalism has told us to do since the day we were born. Right. But but it the very thing it demands of us live your best life. It also prevents us from doing. Yeah. So like- we're caught in this this deadlock of well the social duty now is to live your best life yolo right and yet at the same time the very the the very symbolic order that commands this of you is the one that makes it impossible because of the material conditions so that that's part of why i think all of us are so depressed is because (laughs) well like we, we, we want to take the demand. Like, you want me to live my best life? Okay, cool. Let's do it. Oh, but you won't let me. So. Hey, I just want to say, I'm not fucking depressed. I am, like, I, I, I feel like I'm in a boxing match. And every time I, I sit down on the bench and go, all right, all right. So what do I have, like, five minutes before the next round? Okay, cool. I'm going to drink some water. And then it's smacked right in the face. And it's like, nope, back at it, bitch. And it's like, yep, that's exactly how I feel. I just feel pissed off. I'm like, God damn, why do I got to be in here? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, but but I gotta say, I'm not depressed. I'm just like, bitch, I'll fucking, oh, let's go. All right. <laughs> I was like, that was a sucker punch. You know, I'll jump. Yeah, back well, here's the thing. I'm the oldest one here, so it gets harder as you get older. Oh, there's God. a youthful. There's a lot. A lot of youthful spirit. Like youthful spirit can get you through a lot. When yeah. you hit forty. And you have no future, it's a little bit harder. Oh, jeez. You're right, though. I mean, in a lot of people's cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the question is, though, can it be better so. than worse? And for, 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 for an obsessional who's never going to be able to integrate, assimilate, get disciplined into the society through the regular education system in the way that they're supposed to, what hope is there for them and how can having an understanding of the subject and of desire and of drive uh and of obsession and of time energy help us make sense of how it is that someone like me is able to go from just through all the things that i've been through until now and it's just like i i feel like in a lot of ways, 
serious philosophy. Like uh, these things have supplied you with a personal of concepts and perspectives that, in a sort of sense, free me from just being a victim of 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 my death trap all the time. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I can find myself in the grip of it, and I'm like, oh, that's good to know. That's good to see. I can actually kind of check that. I can actually brake pedal or like redirect. You know. In some degree, I don't have very much control, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it. I feel like the concepts are liberating if you start to think through death drive, though. And for all of us, and Mikey, I think you might have been the first one to say it, but I've also had, I keep talking about this. I, I definitely brought it up with Caleb Kane in that five hour conversation, and it blew his mind. Um, but the reason death drive is important and understanding subjectivity and everything like this is just like whether you grew up in the wood or the hood. Yeah. Like, if you didn't have outlets uh, that, that were like positive, you know, like reinforcements oh. with, and, and like uh, outlets, a lot of outlets for your, for your uh, partial drives to, to to potentially latch onto. Like if you didn't have a diversity of outlets, and and you're just operating at the level of like, it's food, like it's sleep, you know, it's survive or, yeah, or just like. Yeah, or you're bored because you have time and energy, but they're fragmented, and you you don't see anyone in your life who has found a way to fuse those into something meaningful outside of a profit <laughs> or just surviving. Especially in the hood, too, like uh, with with Especially. death drive and like you know, Oedipus complex, where it's like you don't have any of those like outlets for your your jouissance, so you end up repeating what your father did, and then like you end up becoming part of the gangs and you get into trouble, and then you constantly get arrested like i i know that from from uh from my my father too so like luckily we moved to a different uh, area of the hood where it was like more calm but then all of a sudden like more meth was coming in luckily like i had wrestling but like if i didn't have wrestling like i probably would have ended up like just like him right Re the, yeah, there you exactly. go. Yeah. Wrestle wrestling was something that your driver was able to to last <laughs> But there was also a moment in your development with wrestling when there was like a you had to redirect. You instantly yeah. redirected to philosophy. Exactly. So, look, part of it is like this is where I I want to bring in some Deleuze and Guattari. I think there's there's this point in this like yeah like we disagree. We're Lacanians. Blah blah blah. But. Like, there's aspects of what I know about the death drive from the Lacanian perspective that I think DMG can help us with. And, and part of it is, like, the whole reason, like, and, and this is all shit I haven't really, I haven't, like, I have plans to write about it, but I haven't written about it. Like, the, the way I view time energy through Lacan is that having your time energy truly enables your drive to drift. And what I mean is like, like Lacan himself talks about the drive as drift. Uh, remember like Guy Debord wrote that essay, the derive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lacan uses the derive, which is like, I mean, I think Debord also calls it drifting or maybe that's how it's translated. Um, the drive also drifts. And the point is because, and this is something Lacan emphasizes in his theory of sublimation. That for Lacan, you can get the same satisfaction, the same drive satisfaction, from a different object. And so, 
this is different than the, the traditional theory of sublimation. The, the traditional theory says, hey, there's a primary form of sexual enjoyment. For whatever reason, you're not allowed to have that. That energy, though, can be sublimated or channeled into a different activity with a different object. And you're not going to get the same enjoyment, but you can get a substitute enjoyment. Lacan totally rejects that. He thinks that one of your, your partial drives can get the exact same satisfaction from different objects. And so, Brian, you were talking about, like, um, how, like, your enjoyment has shifted, right? And, like, the point is, like, you can have a drive, and it can, it can want, like, a certain type of enjoyment. But the trick is, like, it, your life can be better off depending on what the object of the satisfaction is. Like, and that's part of what... So time energy, basically, and this is what I'm bringing in Deleuze and Guattari for. If you have your time energy, you, can, you have time to experiment. Your body and you, you have the ability to experiment with different activities, different objects, and mm, your, yeah. your body, your, your drive body, so to speak, your libidinal body, can, latch, can have the time to experiment with things and see what it latches onto. And the more opportunities it has to do different activities, the difference that you, like, you're, it's a kind of freedom. Like, it's a weird freedom. It's not like freedom of the will, but it's freedom to get hooked on different, different activities. Yeah. And when poverty is just locked you in to whatever little bit of routine that you have and like you can't vary it so if i mean something as simple as like oh i have extra money to go drive like i'm just gonna cruise cruising is like a thing of the past but cruising mm -hmm. used to like i'm just gonna cruise oh i didn't know this place was here let me go in this place and then you, you, you know, because you got the cruise, you got to latch onto this new place and all like, it sounds silly almost, but this form of like the, the more ability you have to experiment with different types of activities, the freer your libidinal economy can be. Yeah. And that, that's the point is that without time, energy and without money, you are locked into whatever tiny little circuit that the world provides you and you're not able to get outside of that circuit. That's it makes me think, it makes me think of when you're talking about the sublimation that Lacan was talking about when he's like, uh, when I'm not fucking, I'm talking to you, but I get the same satisfaction as by what that's, exactly, that's what I'm referencing is that part right there. <laughs> so look, I mean like that's this whole thing, right? Like, the the oral drive he's getting sexual enjoyment and see this is where it's sexual like this is this is why zupanchich's book is so great because it clears up so much bullshit surrounding sexuality in psychoanalysis sexuality is the stimulation of your your body parts right like and the point is like friends can do this to you, like it, through having a conversation. Like, and so the point is, if they say, "Oh, well, having a conversation, you you reduce everything to sex." And the point is, when somebody does that, I want to go, "Yeah, but you're reducing sex to like intercourse, and that's not what sex is for psychoanalysis." Like, 
the idea that oh everything's reducible to sex they 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 make it what we think of as sex in the standard sense mm-hmm. sexuality is the ways in which our bodies enjoy yeah and that's what Floyd was talking about too with erogenous zones like it's exactly and polymorphous exactly. perversity yeah. and see and like he established this concept of sex in those or the early three essays mm-hmm. and the point is, anybody who, who wants to throw, oh, it's, it's, uh, psychoanalysis, all it cares about is sex. Yeah, well, what does it mean by sex? They think yeah. it means what everybody else means by sex, and it's a much broader concept of bodily stimulation, right? And so a conversation can be sexual. Uh, ta- lecturing can be sexual. Playing sports can be sexual. Playing chess can be sexual, but it's in this broad sense of what gives our drives satisfaction mm-hmm. or jouissance. And so, yeah. And, 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 and can I add on to one more thing with that? With yeah, that, that jouissance uh, and, and like finding that satisfaction, is it almost trying to, in a sense, uh, replicate, well, maybe not replicate, but trying to find that satisfaction that happens in in a sense the lure of the mirror stage where you have this uh kind of like feeling of wholeness and satisfaction so here's the thing like this is where you get into this whole different thing like so i don't know like so the ego like basically whatever jouissance is attached to like oh i want to be whole i want to be complete that i mean that's phantasmatic Mm -hmm. and and, and yes, in a sense, it's a, it's a, it's part of the ego because this is where fantasy is part of the imaginary order. And you know, yeah. imaginary order basically means the order in which we're attempting to be complete, mm-hmm. to be whole, right? But the drives don't care anything about that. The yeah. drives aren't seeking completeness. Like in, in fact, I mean, that's the whole point of death drive. Like, yeah. it, like it's self destruction. It's yeah. self fragmentation. Right. It's like. Compulsory. The, the, the partial drives, that's why Zizek likens them to, like, objects in horror movies, like a free-floating hand, like a hand that's moving by itself, or um, eyes that, like, have a life of their own, and, like, you know, it's because our body parts, our eyes, our ears, they seek out their own forms of enjoyment, and it, they don't, it has nothing to do with egos, or our collective, like, self-image, or our fantasies of perfect enjoyment. Like, that's the trick of the drive. Like, desire is moving towards that. Desire is moving towards, I want the lost object that's going to complete me and make me whole. But drive is the part of us that undermines our, like, attempts to be whole and gets, like, our actual enjoyment, our actual jouissance is how we prevent ourselves from getting the whole enjoyment that's actually impossible to get. Like, this is the key in understanding the difference between desire and drive. Desire is seeking the impossible object it can never get, but that if it could get, would make it whole. But drive is what gets actual enjoyment from us not getting that object. So this is why we talk about drive circles, OJ Petita. When when Lacanians say drive circles, OJ Petita, it means it's our path uh, it's the path we take to not get what we want. And so that's, that's where actual enjoyment lies in how like enjoying what we don't have is what Todd 
how Todd puts it. And so this is this weird dynamic and the drives have a life of their own. Like we're not in control of them. We don't like rule over them. We in a sense are tethered to them and we're kind the subject kind of goes along for the ride. And so this, this is another way in which we're divided. Like as, as like the lacking subject of desire, the lacking, the negative subject, like, it's always pursuing objah, the, the the externalization of its own lack, like that missing part of itself. But the drives in our bodies are not concerned with that. They're concerned with just their own repetitious forms of enjoyment, which derail us from ever getting what we want. Got it, got it. So, well, I am going to have to go in a second now. Yeah, yeah, same yeah, here. I gotta drop off my friend at the airport, so. Yeah, and uh, I'm surprised you've all been able to do it as long as you have. Yeah. I really appreciate you all getting on here. And so, basically what I'm hearing, though, is that we're all, like, interested in some similar problems, but then we all have a lot of, like, our, our own shit that we're working on at the same time. And so I just really like to see what you're all up to as you, as you come out with it. I'm really stoked to get a chance to. I'll be out in nature. I'll be reading the scratching. I'll be reading right a lot more. So, and, and I just I think that you know that thinking has three components, right, Brian? I think you talked about talking. Right. Sorry, I missed whatever you just said. It was. Oh, the three, the three components of thinking is reading, writing, and talking. And a lot of people don't really do all three. And it's like, you know, you can't do all three all the time at the same time because reading and writing both require a lot of focus. So anyway, I'm, uh, I'm stoked that we're all up to a lot of really cool shit. And I look forward to whenever the hell we'll all get to talk again. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It does. All right. Well, I'm about Cheers to head, uh, log off. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, y'all have a good rest Talk of your to day. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. Get some rest and see you in the morning. Night. <laughs> night, night. <laughs> night, night. Like, 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 follow, subscribe.